0: Good morning, good to see you here this morning and for those who uh, are planning on attending Wednesday night, I hope most of you are, we'll be looking at 1st Samuel 17 and we are now moving into one of the more familiar chapters and uh, elements of scripture that even many people in the world are aware of and that is the battle between David and Goliath or Goliath and we're going to look at um, many of the Uh, wonderful events, including one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, where little David says to this nine-foot-six guy or about him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of the living God? That's a good attitude to have in these last days. Amen? So join us Wednesday for 1 Samuel chapter 17, and this morning we're going to look at our word for the year, which is... Blessed, And we will be blessed by the word of the Lord this morning. So I encourage you, open your Bibles this morning to Jeremiah chapter 17. We'll look at 5 through 11 and obviously take a glance at our verse for the month, which is verse 7. Now, I'll remind you that at the beginning of the year, we introduced our word by recognizing there are a trio of pairs associated with our word. We're going to find it pronounced two different ways, blessed and blessed. We also noted that it's in two different languages, obviously Hebrew and Greek, two of the three languages the Bible is written in, the third being Aramaic for a portion of Daniel. And each language is going to incorporate two different words translated into the word blessed or blessed. Now, blessed is translated from the Hebrew word Baruch, which means to kneel in adoration or It's the word used to describe blessing the Lord. Now, we'll find that word employed in our text this morning. And the Hebrew also uses the word eris, which is translated as happiness. And thus, it is similar to the New Testament word in the Greek, makarios, which means, oh, how happy or happiness. And it is the word used that Jesus incorporated in opening up the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Blessed are those, he said, over and over. Now, the second Greek word is eulogitos. That's where we get our word eulogy. Eulogy simply means praise words. And these words are words directed towards the object of our praise, which is God and God alone. Amen? I'm not accepting that. Amen? There we go. Now, verse for the month and those surrounding it that we're going to examine this morning are, as is often true, very timely. And the days in which we live will bear this out this morning. I would go as far to say that these verses are more timely now than they were in January when we began examining our word. Now, here's why. Jeremiah 32, 33 to 35 says, And they have turned to me the back, And not the face, though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house, which is called by my name, to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them. Nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, I'm not texting anybody. I'm turning up my hearing aids. Thank you. (laughs) The children of Israel had turned their backs on that which God had taught them as a nation, much like our nation has turned its back on our very foundations, which are based on the word of God. The house of God had become a place of abominations, where the things that were contrary to God, things that were idolatrous had become predominant among God's people. Much of the church in our country has also departed from the apostles' doctrine incorporated things into the church that are part of the world and even exalting human opinions above the teaching of the word of God, something Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for. He says, you're teaching his commandments of doctrine of men rather than that of the Holy Scriptures. Now, we add to that the fact that in Jeremiah's day, infant children, were being placed on the arms of a superheated iron statue to Molech and being sacrificed while they were yet... Alive. And the Lord said, This never came to my mind, and this isn't something that ought to be practiced. It is an abomination before Him. And I uh, submit to you this morning that children are being sacrificed in our day to the idol of women's reproductive rights. And it is an abomination before God. But listen, bless the Lord that He can forgive those who commit things that are an abomination to Him. Now, Jeremiah would also say in chapter 6, verse 16, thus says the Lord, who's speaking? The Lord, Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said what? We will not walk in it. Now, in our day, to many people, the old path is the wrong path. It's the antiquated path. It's the outdated path. The ways of the Lord, the ways of the Lord are not relevant today. And they say, we will not walk in the ways of the Lord because the ways of the Lord conflict with the will of people today. And even in our society today, we can see quite clearly that unrest has come to the land when rest is something that God has made available. But that rest comes from sticking to the old path and the old ways. And yet our text inserts into this indictment of Judah for their practices and their forsaking of God a word of hope, even a word of instruction on how to continue in and obtain the blessings of the Lord even in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. Now, I have to apologize for our title this morning. It's a bit of a rhyme, if you will, but it just kind of flows off the lips. And you guys know I can rhyme on a dime anytime. So, Well, listen, our title is simply this this morning, and it has to be this, Living Blessed in a World That's a Mess. Living Blessed in a World That's a Mess. Is our world a mess today? Can we still live a life that blesses God and is a blessing to us and is a blessing to others? Well, of course we can, because the Bible repeats that fact over and over. And the truth is, ever since man's fall in the garden, the world has been a mess. And yet we can live a blessed life and a life that is a blessing to God and others. And we need to remember, we are not without God in these last days. And through Christ, we have been reconciled to God. And therefore, strength is ours. A peace that passes understanding is ours. Power is ours because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Now, our text is going to involve the use of contrast as the scripture often employs. Now, the purpose of contrast is obviously to highlight a distinction between one group or another, or even as we have been seeing on Wednesday nights, the difference between the people's choice for king and a man after God's own heart who he had chosen for king or the differences between Saul and David. Now the interesting thing about our text as we will examine this contrast for living a blessed life or one that is described as cursed is that the fact is there's only one real mention of how to live a blessed life. And the balance of our verses are the results of living a blessed life or the results of a life that is cursed. So we're going to learn this morning how to live blessed in a world that's a mess. And we'll learn from Jeremiah 17:5 through 11, how we can do so. So would you stand with me this morning and read from Jeremiah 17, verses 5 through 11. Jeremiah 17, let's pick it up in verse five. Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river, and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green, and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As the partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end he will be a fool. And Lord, that is not our desired end, that we spend our time and end up being a fool at the end of our days, but rather that we would be those who are found among the wise. And Lord, help us to understand these beautiful truths this morning. And that no matter what's going on in our world, you have given us a means by which we can live a life that blesses you, is a blessing to us, and blesses others. Help us arrive at that in our understandings this morning. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our verses are going to begin with a description of the life of an idolater. Specifically someone who should know better, like many in our nation today know better than how they are living. They know there's a better way to live. They know that there is a God, as Romans 1 says, all are without excuse, for he has not hidden his existence from human eyes. For since creation was born, his evidence has been made known. Now in Jeremiah sixteen, seventeen, and 18, verses previous to ours, the Lord says this, my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity hidden from my eyes. And first, I will repay double for their iniquity and their sin because they have what? Defiled my land with what? Idolatry. They have filled my inheritance with the carcasses of their detestable and abominable idols. Now, I want you to think about Israel's history. God gave Israel a land in which to dwell. He gave them radical victories in which and through which they obtained the land. He parted the seas. He stood the floodwaters of the Jordan River up on a heap so the people could cross over on dry ground into the land of promise. They brought down city walls with nothing more than a shout and the power of Almighty God. God caused the sun to stand still in the sky so Joshua could win the battle. They did, the Lord defeated through them the massive army of the Midianites through Gideon at 300 men. He gave them prophets who could shut up the sky and call down fire. He gave them a king even who was after his own heart. And in return, the people turned to idols that could neither see nor speak nor hear. They faced their back to the Lord. Now, Isaiah 5, one to five also reminds us. Now, let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and made a winepress in it. So he expected it to bring forth what? Good grapes. But it brought forth wild grapes, wild uh, symbolizing rebellion. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and the men of Judah, there's the interpretation of the figurative language, judge please between me and my vineyard or between me and you. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now please let me tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge or its protection and it shall be burned and break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. Did that happen to Israel? Absolutely. Now, There's an important point for us to make that highlights our title, as we see in Isaiah the national consequences for rejecting God. And I'll remind you there is but one national people group that can lay claim to being God's chosen people ethnically, and that is the Jews. Amen? Now, but we also need to recognize from our text that nations are made up of individuals. And in our text, all the pronouns are personal. They are not talking about national identity. They are talking about personal activity. And therefore, living a cursed life or a blessed life in times like Jeremiah's and Judah's is what is in view in our text. Now, the word cursed means to express loathing for to express loathing for. And the reason the Lord expresses loathing for the man who is cursed in our text is because of the object of his trust. The object of his trust is himself. The object of his trust is flesh and blood. And that tells us that the Lord says that those who trust in themselves, those who trust in flesh and blood, have actually departed from the Lord in their heart. And verse six illustrates such a person's life as being like a shrub in the desert that won't see good things when they come. It also says they will be like a parched land implied longing for rain or even like the salt bed of an uninhabitable dried up sea. That doesn't sound like much of a life to me or you. That doesn't sound like much of a life, does it? Now, I ran across this report from the Center for Disease Control dated uh, June 7th, 2018. And I looked into this because we had something tragic happen in our own neighborhood at the middle school right down the street. A young 13-year-old boy took his own life on campus and was found by one of the campus janitors. And the CDC says increasingly suicide is being viewed not only as a mental health problem but a public health problem. Listen to this. Nearly 45,000 suicides occurred in the United States in 2016. That's twice the number of murders, making it the 10th leading cause of death in the United States. Among people ages 15 to 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death. It's hitting many places, especially hard. Half of the states, suicide among people beginning at age 10 has increased more than 30%. What in the world is going on in the life of a 10 year old that would cause them to take their own life? A 2017 study in the journal, Social Science and Medicine showed evidence that a rise in the foreclosure rate during the concussive downturn of 2008 and beyond was associated, (coughs) excuse me, with an overall though marginal increase in suicide rates. The increase was higher for white males and any other race or gender group. Research for many years and across social and health science fields has demonstrated a strong relationship between economic downturns and an increase in deaths due to suicide, according to Sarah Bergard, Associate Professor of Sociology at the University of Michigan. Now, I think people today need to redefine what blessings are. Because the proverb says in 1022, the blessings of the Lord make one rich, and he adds what? No sorrow. no sorrow with it. Listen, in light of these tragic and troubling statistics, I know of multiple people who that, or through that economic downturn between 2008 and 11 and beyond, who lost everything except Jesus. They lost everything that was material. They lost everything that was possessions that other people would place a great and high value on. But what was most important to them, they didn't lose it because they didn't, couldn't lose it. And that was their salvation. Now, Psalm 20, verse 7 and 8 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down, those who trust in chariots and horses, They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Psalm 6011 says, give us help from trouble for the help of man is, it's still useless. The help of man is still useless today. So how do we live a blessed life in a messed up world? Well, the first is a simple point, maybe even overly simple, but it needs to be said. And it's just this. Listen this morning. Life's greatest asset is knowing God. Life's greatest asset is knowing God. Listen, if you know God, if you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have everything you need. You may not have everything you want. Hello? But you have everything you need because you learn how to live without things that you want. A person who trusts in material things or places their hope in other people or even in their own gifts and talents is going to have a pretty empty life. That's what Jeremiah is saying. They may have a lot of stuff. They may even be envied by many. But in the dark and difficult seasons of life or when they lose it all, they have nothing left. And that is not true with someone who has the Lord. Knowing God is our greatest asset in life. Now, that's not to say that Christians don't struggle. That's not to say that Christians don't get discouraged. That's not to say that Christians don't ever fight depression or any of the other things going on in our world and culture today because of the pressures. But it is to say this, no Christian will face any of those things alone. We learned last week that when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overtake you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Here's why. For the I am, the Holy One of Israel, is our Savior. Isaiah 43, 2 and 3. And therefore, David could ask himself this question in Psalm 42, 5. Why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? Hope in God. For I shall praise him for the help of his countenance. Does not, his counten- Does not he lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace? Now those without the Lord have no one to cry out to except for those who can be no help when the tides of life turn against them. Now, I can assure you that those who have it all and live a life that others dream of have their moments when all that they have has done nothing to fill the void in their lives and they feel like life is a parched place in the wilderness of emptiness." So for you and I, we can say life's greatest asset is knowing God. Whether you are rich or poor, if you know God, you have blessings that have no sorrow attached to it. Somebody say, Now let's take a second glance at verses 7 and 8. We've looked at the cursed man. Now let's look at the blessed man. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Now, this is how you live a blessed life. And the totality of the Bible's formula, so to speak, is in verse seven, trust in the Lord, place your hope as the Lord. Now, he doesn't say Uh, Jeremiah doesn't say that our hope is in the Lord. He says our hope is actually the Lord himself. Now, here we have the contrasting life experience lived in the same season of Israel's history as the person whose life was like a shrub in the desert. And the first thing for us to note is the contrast that verse five records. There is trust in a man, but there's no mention of hope. Those who trust in the Lord have hope come alongside. Now, in verse seven, we see living blessed in a world that's a mess begins with trust in the Lord, which yields that hope in the Lord. And trust and hope in the Lord translates into a life experience that's not like a shrub in the desert, but it's like a tree planted by the waters. It's not like a parched place, but it's like roots reaching out to a river. We also see that the blessed life is one that when the heat is on, their leaf is green. Another illustration they will continue to prosper. They're not intimidated by drought and their lives are fruitful even then. This is the blessed life. Now, David found this to be true. And I find it interesting that this is the preface psalm, the opening of the five books of psalms, where he said this in Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. That's a phrase that simply means the word of God. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Jeremiah said the same thing, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall what? shall prosper. Now listen, it is vital in this age of easy believism and misrepresentations of grace to note that the man after God's own heart begins to describe the blessed life by three things the blessed man doesn't do. He presents the blessed life in the negative first and foremost, and then he states the positive results of not doing these things. He doesn't pattern his life. She doesn't pattern her life after the counsel of ungodly people. They don't find their feet planted or traversing the path of the ungodly or the sinners. He doesn't occupy the seat of the arrogant scoffer. That's what the meaning of scornful is. Now, his life choices are therefore in direct contrast to those things and therefore his life experience is the opposite of those who have a cursed life as well. Now, I've shared this before and I wanted to share it again. And I found it on the page that is C.H. Spurgeon's page. He has a wonderful commentary on the Psalms called the Treasury of David. And on the website of the same name, it recorded this of C.H. Spurgeon's own life experience. In 1854, when C.H. Spurgeon had scarcely been 12 months in London, there was raging a fearful epidemic of Asiatic cholera. And with all of his youthful ardor, he plunged at once into the work of relieving the sick and suffer, the suffering and the dying and to burying the dead. Weary and worn with much work, he one day came back from a funeral service feeling as though he himself were now prey to this awful judgment and scourge of God. He was passing along a certain street and he observed in the window of a shoemaker's shop, a paper wafered to a pane of glass and on which were inscribed the large characters of the ninth and 10th verses of the 91st Psalm. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. And Spurgeon said at the reading of this, that was God's message to me. I at once took heart, and from that moment, I neither felt any fear of the cholera myself, nor did I suffer any harm from repeated ministries upon the sick and the dying. Now, what that means is this, in light of our text. When the heat was on, Spurgeon's life did not cease yielding fruit. He was fruitful in a difficult and painful season. He was fruitful in a season of plague, so to speak. And therefore we need to remember life's greatest asset is knowing God because it keeps us from living a life that is loathed by God, even in a nation that has turned the back to our God and His Word. And therefore we can, in times such as these, live a life that is one of adoration and praise to our Lord. Now the psalmist would also write in 84, 10 to 12, a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God, then dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he uphold from those who walk out. Uprightly, think of the words of Psalm 1 again. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who does what? Who trusts in you, just like Jeremiah and David said. Now that means that as we trust God, hope is established in our hearts that is not subject to being lost, nor is it subject to change, even when society is turning against and away from God and even becoming antagonistic toward him. Now in Amos chapter eight eleven, the prophet said, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Now, we do know that this happened between Malachi and John the Baptist. There was some 400 years where there was no word from the Lord or prophet in the land. I would submit to you that that famine has struck our world and country as well. And yet we have no reason to be anxious in the midst of it. For even in a season of drought of hearing the word of God, we can be Jeremiah's or Jereminas. And we can be the lone fruit bearing vine in the Lord's vineyard if necessary. Now listen this morning. I've seen it all over social media and I would agree with the statement in part. And many have said that because of the abortion industry and its protection and now what many state governments are doing allowing for abortion in the birth canal or even after birth, if the umbilical cord is still attached, that God is going to judge America. Listen, God is going to judge America, but judgment is not limited to America. God is going to judge an entire Christ-rejecting world. Now, the question is, why has he yet stayed his hand? Why has judgment not come on these United States of America? For promoting pornography and being a leader in the abortion business, so to speak, when the Lord has declared such things to be an abomination to Him. Well, I think we can find an answer and we have an answer all the way back in Genesis 18 as to why judgment has been delayed in verses 20 to 26 with a conversation between the Lord and Abraham. The Lord had said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, And because their sin is very grave, is there grave sin being promoted and protected in these United States today? Yes, there is. Three of you know there is. The rest of you need to turn on the TV. Yes, there's grave sin, very grave sin, promoted and protected by those in power in our country today. And the Lord said, because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. I think we all know how the negotiations went. They decreased five at a time until Abraham got all the way down to 10. And the Lord said, get your nephew and his family out of there because there aren't even 10 righteous in this place. Now listen, let me just put this simply for those who are questioning this and posting things on social media. God has not poured out a judgment on America because of the church. There are many righteous in this country and there's more than 10. There's more than 50. There are millions of people who have been made righteous in Jesus Christ. And that is why two things are true. That is why judgment has not come on the United States of America. And the second thing is true is God is going to remove the righteous and then he's going to judge the world. Because that is the biblical precedent. That is the established pattern of when God judges a city or a planet. He raised Noah and family above his wrath. And he pulled Lot and family away from Sodom and Gomorrah when he destroyed it for its great sin. Now that tells us that those who trust and have hope in the Lord are a blessing and a benefit to those around them. Which is actually our next point. Here's the next truth I want you to glean this morning and take it home with you. Listen, one of the greatest blessings of life is being one. One of the greatest blessings of life is being one. Being a blessing, obviously. And the Christian life is, of course, what is in view. Now, I want to inform you this morning that some form of the word, word bless occurs in the Bible 641 times, reminding us that blessing is part of the life of the child of God. Being blessed, blessing God and blessing others would be a way to summarize the Christian life and experience. Now, Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 13. He said, to the present hour, or meaning right up until now, we both hunger and thirst and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor working with our hands being reviled, we do what? We bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the dirty dishwasher, water, the offscouring of all things until now. You know, we live in a time where many in the world think the church is actually the world's greatest blight. They think that we're a bunch of bigots and intolerant haters and tell us that we are that. And yet we, in times like these, and those mentioned by Jeremiah and Paul, can be a blessing. As a matter of fact, we should be a blessing to those around us. Now, How do we do that? How do we do that? I'm asking you. How do we do that? Well, I mentioned this before, and I think it summarizes how we do that. And I can summarize it in one sentence. We live next door to a lesbian couple for 17 years. And the fact is, how we treated them can be summarized in one simple statement. And this is how we be a blessing to the world around us today. Listen, to the two girls next door, we made it hard for them to hate us. We made it hard for them to hate us. As a matter of fact, one of them was always texting Terry or I, telling us how much she loved us. Now listen, I want to give you an insight here. We didn't just act like we loved them. We really loved them. We cared for them. Their lives, their souls mattered to us. And when one of them was artificially inseminated and had a baby, we did what we did for all of our Christian friends. We bought gifts for the child and we took food over to be a blessing to them. And you know what? One of them, it was easier for her to hate us. But the other one had a terrible time being mad at us. And she would tell us that she loved us. Listen, this is so essential for our understanding today. And so many people want to treat the homosexual community with hatred. And we do know that homosexuality is a sin, right? Right? Homosexuality is a sin, but guess what? So is lying, and we should treat the homosexual the same way we do the liar. We love them, and we're kind to them. Just like God is kind to the unthankful and the evil. Listen, one of the greatest blessings of life is being one, being a blessing to other people. Listen, we are a blessing to the United States of America. The people in this room are a blessing to the United States of America because the fact is we have stayed God's hand and his judgment because we are present in this place. But we need to take this down to the individual level. We need to make it hard for people to hate us. Jesus said... (laughs) you will be hated by all for my name's sake. We need to make it hard for them to do that because we love them and we express our kindness to them. We can be a blessing even in times such as these because being a blessing is one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life. So we've learned how to live a messed up life and I hope you disregard that and choose the other. And we've learned how to live a blessed life in a messed up world. And now we have a reminder of how essential trust and hope in the Lord is to living the blessed life. So look at 9 through 11 again. Two of the verses are very familiar and the third is a necessary addition. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge that brews but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at the end he will be a what? A fool. Now, we live in a time where opinion is how truth is defined rather than actual facts. And Proverbs tells us in twenty six twelve, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for who? For a fool than for him. Listen, there are complete and utter fools in places of power in our country and around the world. There's no question about it. And they espouse their own opinions as fact, and they even deny our own nation's rich and biblical history. They do not trust in the Lord, therefore there's no help in their plans. So we should not trust in their plans. Somebody say, amen. Now, let me remind you again, It was a time like ours today that Jeremiah reminded Judah that the heart of man is deceitful to the degree that no one even knows their own heart. But the Lord knows the heart and he renders to every person according to their ways. And then he closes with a contrasting illustration to that of the blessed life, likening uh, the cursed life again to a partridge that sits on eggs that never hatches. He likens the unfruitful life to getting riches but having no right to it, taking money that you have no right to. Now, he says in the end, that will leave and expose them as a fool. Now, Proverbs 23.5 also reminds us, will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. I'll remind you again this morning, something I've said in the past. As we see here, riches certainly make themselves wings. We talk about the fact that money talks, and I believe money does talk. But the only thing I've ever heard it say is goodbye. (laughs) Now, we also need to note here the relationship between the heart and the mind in these famous verses. The Lord searches the heart and he tests the mind. Because from the heart the mouth speaks what the mind thinks. And in Genesis 6, 5, we're told, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that, what's the next word? Every intent of the, look at this phrase, thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jesus said, when it's time for me to come get my people, that's how it's going to be. I submit to you this morning, it's time for him to come and get his people because that's exactly how it is today. The wickedness of man is great in the earth and every thought and the intents of the heart or every intent of the thoughts of the heart is only evil continually. And the end result of the Lord searching the heart and testing the mind is giving to every person according to the fruit of their doings. Not their doings themselves, but the fruit of their doings. Now this is important and it's an oft overlooked portion of these verses that are familiar to many. Listen, what it means is this. The Lord doesn't give us according to our feelings. The Lord doesn't give us according to our sincerity. The Lord doesn't give to us according to our convictions the Lord doesn't give to us according to our church attendance or tithe record he gives to each one according to the fruit of their doings now what exactly does that mean in Matthew 718 Jesus put it like this a good tree next word cannot, cannot bear what bad fruit. bad fruit a good tree cannot bear bear bad fruit. Conversely, nor can a bad tree bear what? Good fruit. He would go on to say later in John 15, 5 to 8, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, or who, he who is connected to me is a vine, and I in him bears what? Much fruit. Good fruit is implied, obviously. For without me, you can do... Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, listen, by this, my father is glorified. In other words, here is how you glorify the father in heaven. That you bear what? Much fruit. fruit. So you will be my disciples. Now, here's why this is important now I'm not talking about anybody here like a good Christian we're going to talk about other people who aren't here now think about this uh, if you're visiting that was a joke J <laughs> slash K now here's why this is important you can attend church with a wrong heart hello you can attend church with a wrong heart You can give to the church with a wrong heart. You can serve at the church with a wrong heart, but you can also do those things with a right heart. And the right heart will bear fruit for God's kingdom and his glory. Now here's our takeaway. It's the longest of our three observations. And again, it's just a general truth, a reminder, if you will. Listen, serving, living, and giving to God are the natural byproducts of a heart and mind set upon him. Serving, living, and giving to God are the natural byproducts of a heart and mind set upon him. And this is what the failure of Judah was. This is what the failure of many in our country today is. Forgetting how good God has been. Forgetting how gracious he has been. Forgetting the blessings. Listen this morning. I love this country. I love these United States of America. We are the most blessed country in the history of the world and we have done more for other nations than any nation in the history of the world we have been a generous nation even to a fault but it's because our foundations were honoring God and blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord there was no second thought to helping other people's There was no second thought to being a blessing to other people early in our nation's history. And listen, serving, living, and giving to God are just a natural byproduct of having your heart and mind set upon Him, focusing upon Him. I'm not saying it's always convenient. I'm not saying it's always easy. And I'm not saying there's no sacrifice involved or cost for serving, living, and giving to God. But the fact is, when your heart and mind are set on the Lord, your life is going to bear fruit. And bearing fruit is going to glorify God and be a blessing to others. And this is what Colossians tells us in Paul's writing in the third chapter in 1 to 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are where? Above. In case you're wondering what above is, he clarifies where Christ is. If you're wondering where Christ is, he explains that too. Sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. If you want to see what that looks like, check out Revelation chapter 19. Now, I want you to think about this this morning. There are people who don't know the Lord who have good works. There are people who don't know the Lord who do good things that benefit other people. There are people who don't know the Lord that people would say, you know, they're a good person. They're a good moral person. But here's what I want you to glean this morning. Apart from the Lord, you cannot bear fruit for his glory. And that's the only thing he rewards. You can't earn salvation by good works. It's the gift of God. You can't go to heaven by being a good moral person. And you can do those things and not bear fruit for God's glory. But the fact is, that is something, again, that is exclusive to the Christian life and experience. Listen, we can live a blessed life in a messed up world. It has to be possible because the world's been messed up ever since sin entered into it. But the blessed life, listen, is one that is according to the Lord's design, not what our hearts or minds feel and think. There's a famine and a plague today. And judgment is not just looming, judgment is imminent. And yet the Lord has us here. And He's only left us here for one reason to bear much fruit. Are you here this morning? Now, that means being a blessing to others, leading others to him, proclaiming the word of God and living in a manner that makes it hard for people to hate us. Is that possible? Sure it is. The Bible says it is. For Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his what? Enemies to be what? at peace with him. Listen, when we please God, it makes us hard for people to hate us. Well, some people are good at it. And so some people can overcome the hurdle. But the fact is, that's how we are to live our life. Making it hard for people to hate us and thus opening the door for the gospel to be presented. So can we live a blessed life in a messed up world? oh absolutely matter of fact we're supposed to and that blessed life is one that is blessed by God one that is a blessing to God and one that is a blessing to others it's just that simple